John the Baptist was doing what John the Baptist did. He was standing knee-deep in a river, and on the banks were a lot of people. Back in the day, there wasn't a lot to do. You didn't have a TV or a radio or a computer or an iPad or anything like that. You didn't even have books. And when something was going to happen, like was happening out in the wilderness, people wanted to go and see it. It was a real spectacle. He was a real spectacle. He dressed weird, he ate weird, and he said dangerous things. And he was up there and out there in the wilderness, knee-deep in the water, saying dangerous things. And, and uh, John the Baptist was somebody that was of some fame. He actually had disciples, like Jesus had disciples, and a lot of other rabbis that taught had disciples. John the Baptist had disciples, and they would all sit there on the bank, and they would learn from him as he was saying. And, and again, like I said, he was saying dangerous things. He was speaking out against King Herod and the illicit relationship he was having with his brother's wife. And he was speaking out against the religious leaders that had all the power in town, calling them names like uh, vipers and... and sons of hell and things like that. And, and, and he was, he was, it was something that people wanted to come and see. One day, as he was preaching and baptizing, he looked up and he saw a young man walking down the trail toward the river. And when he looked up and saw him, he froze. He just stood there for a second. And finally, he points to this person that nobody knows on the bank of the river and says, Look! It's the Lamb of God! He's here to take away the sin of the world! And everybody turns and looks, and the young man standing there looks behind him. <laughs> Who is he talking about? A few days later, it happens again. This young man is walking down the trail toward the river, and John stops everything. Look! There he is again! It's the Lamb! And he's here to take away the sins of the world. Well, now John's disciples are getting curious. They're getting actually really curious because, because, because they're following John, but he's pointing to Jesus, and, and Jesus walks down into the water, and, and the disciples are pretty close, and they hear this exchange that's going on. And the exchange is, no, I should baptize you. No, I should baptize you. No, I should be baptizing you. I'm telling you I need to be baptized by you. Jesus wins the argument. John baptizes him. There's something that sounds like a voice, and a bird lands on Jesus, which is strange. And it's got the curiosity of John's disciples up so much that they, that they, uh, they start asking themselves, you know, amongst each other, who is this guy? Why is John making such a big deal out of it? And, and they all run over to John and, 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 you know, what's going on here? And they hear John say something surprising, something they didn't expect. They heard John say, listen guys, um, that guy that I baptized, the one that I pointed out, he must increase. And I'm, I need to decrease. You're going to see a lot less of me now. 
Well, several of these disciples just couldn't stand it. They had to know who this guy was, and they ran up the trail to follow him because he was walking away from the crowds. Hey, uh, what's your name? Oh, uh, yeah, um, Jesus. How you doing? What are you guys doing? We want to come see where you live. Is that okay? And Jesus says, uh, Sure. Come and see. And they follow him. In one of the gospel accounts, uh, Jesus doesn't go out into the wilderness. They actually follow him into Nazareth. And they spend all day talking and walking. And then they get to Nazareth. And Jesus says, listen, my mom's house has, you can, you can use the floor. And they sleep around the house. And they get up early and, and they have to go to work, most of these disciples. And Jesus realizes that. Uh, one of them sticks around, though. This guy named Andrew. And Andrew says, can I, can I introduce you to my brother and some of my friends? And Jesus says, sure, that'd be great. So they walk down to the water where all the fishermen are, and, and uh, Jesus walks up to Andrew's brother, Peter, who's mending nets. And Jesus says to him, follow me. And Peter drops everything and stands up and follows him. Okay, this is weird. He walks down the beach a little bit more and, and uh, he sees two brothers. One of their names is John and you always thought the other's name was James. Right? James and John, the son of Zebedee. It's really funny how the Bible works. When people were putting the Bible together, um, they didn't like the name of John's brother, so they changed it to James. Um, if you read it in Greek, it never says James. It always says Jacob. You didn't know that, did you? It's Jacob and John, the sons of Zebedee. Look it up in Greek. You can just type, oh, why, is James, why did they change Jacob to James in Google in the Bible? And, and, and it'll tell you. Yeah, they, they just like that name better. They thought the, James, the Jacob name had been used too much in the Old Testament. <laughs> Weird how people translate the Bible. Those words, come, follow me, happened to J Jacob and John. I'll call them James and John so we don't get confused. And they are with their dad, who they're working with. They're working for their dad, and they don't even ask their dad permission. The dad doesn't argue. They just drop their nets and follow him. Come, follow me. These words that Jesus would speak to people would change dozens and dozens and dozens of lives. Most for the good, some maybe not so good because of the decisions they made. They chose the wrong way. Those words, come, follow me. One of the phenomena that has happened in the 
United States of America in the last 20 years is the rise of these things that they call mega churches. These churches that have thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of, of people that go to them. And, and uh, these are very, very popular places where very talented uh, preachers um, put together just great programs. And, and, you know, some of these churches have 30 and 40,000 people attending them. Part of this phenomenon is that these, these churches put on conventions that they invite all of the pastors and all of the Christians that are interested in them, in them and they're called leadership conventions, where they, they bring you in and they teach you how to be a really, really good leader. Andrews University has a doctoral program in leadership that you can take. I have friends that have taken it. I said it's a great program. But you can be a doctor leader. That's pretty cool. I would want people, if I got that degree, to call me that. Dr. Leader. <laughs> yes. Seems like everything's all about leadership now. We've got to mentor people into leaders, and we've got to have great leaders. On every single summer camp, and some, any missionary application that I'm given to fill out as a recommendation form, and I get thousands of these things from students all over the place. There's always a question there about leadership. Are they a good leader? I have to check it off. Never once have I seen or been asked for in a reference form how good of a follower is this person. Never once have I seen that on any recommendation form. Leadership stuff all over the place. But never once are they a good follower. Jesus said, Come, follow me. I have searched the scriptures through all of the spiritual gifts and all of the attributes that God wants to give his children. Everything, all the spiritual gifts, the, the, everything. And you know what? I have not found yet anywhere in scripture leadership. It seems that we're not called to lead. We're actually called to follow. Over and over again in the Bible, there's evidence of this. John chapter 12, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. Luke 9, and he said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, hey, let me go bury my dad. Jesus said, let the, dairy, the dead bury their own dead, but you need to come and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, well, I'll follow you, Lord, but I need to go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus said, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back. They need to go and do things for the kingdom of God. Follow me, he said. Mark 12, as he walks along, he sees Levi, Matthew, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus says. And the guy gets up and he leaves everything there and he follows Jesus. Matthew chapter 10. Anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's overwhelming. All over scripture, Jesus is saying, Follow me. Never once does Jesus ever approach anybody and say, Hey, I've come to turn you into a great leader. He just doesn't say it. His invitation for us is to be followers. 
But in this day and age, who wants to be a follower? I mean, how many, how many parents want to hear from a teacher? Well, your son or your daughter, um, they're not really leadership material, but they're great followers. Uh, parents was, oh. <laughs> we keep thinking that Jesus was the greatest leader in the whole wide world. When the fact of the matter is, Jesus wasn't a leader either. Jesus was a follower. He said things like, listen, I don't do anything on my own. I only do what the Father tells me to do. I'm following the Father. I'm following the Spirit. That's what I do. I don't do anything on my own. The reason that Jesus was so great at ministry on earth while he was here is because he was a great follower. Again, I've never once seen on any application or reference form for me to rate somebody's ability to follow. As far as I can see in the Bible, every time any follower decides to go ahead and take the wheel and be the leader in something, it always ends up in a disaster. Every single time. Adam and Eve, I think we got this. We'll lead on this one. Disaster. Abraham, she's my sister. Disaster. Moses, I got this one. Let me hit the rock. Disaster. King Saul, I know the rules, but I've got this. Let me take the lead. Disaster. King David, God, why don't you go over there? I'm going to take the lead for a minute. Bathsheba. Disaster. King Solomon, what? Just a couple of wives from the Jews? No, I want thousands from all over the world. Disaster. Judas. Maybe if I push it hard enough, Jesus will stand up and be the person that he's supposed to be. Disaster. Every time somebody in the Bible decides to take the lead, every single time it ends up in a disaster. And then there's me. Every time I take the wheel from Jesus, every time I push him out of the way and say, listen, I don't want to follow on this one, I got the lead on this one. Every single time, it's a disaster. I was in New England doing a camp meeting some years ago now, and, and Sunday came around, and I didn't have to speak in the morning. In fact, I didn't have to speak until 8 o'clock that night. And I thought, man, I've never, ever been to a Red Sox game. I want to go. I want to see the green monster. I want to see that big green wall. And I want to go see a Red Sox game and get some ballpark food and everything. And I didn't want to go by myself. And there was this kid that was sitting in front in all the meetings. Um, he was just a really interesting looking kid. He weighed 300 pounds, like on the dot. And uh, he was bald. He shaved his head. He is a white kid that could stand underneath a basketball hoop and all 300 pounds jump up with the basketball in his hand and dunk it with two hands. And his name was Sparky. 
And I got to know Sparky during that week a little bit, and Sparky didn't have a dad. It happened to be Father's Day that Sunday. I said, hey, Sparky, we got to go to a Red Sox game. Can I be your dad for a day? He goes, oh, Pastor Wittes, that would be so awesome. So we got in the car, and we drove into Boston to the Red Sox ballpark there, to Fenway Park, to see the baseball game. Now, this was before the days when everybody had cell phones. I had no cell phone and, and no GPS. There wasn't even Garmin. Those, remember the things that you used to put on your, on your dashboard and the lady would tell you where to go? None of that, okay? So we got to the game okay, and we parked across the street. There's a Seventh-day Adventist church just right across the street, Boston Temple. Um, and we parked there. I, t- I called the pastor. I knew her, and, and she said, yeah, go ahead, Mark. Pa- you, can, you can park there. So I parked there. We went in, and we had a great time at the game. I mean, it was a great game anyway. We were eating all this junk and everything. We just had a great Father's Day baseball game together. And afterward, uh, we were walking toward the car, and I said, uh, what do you want to do? We got some time. He goes, hey, we should get some food. And I thought, man, we already ate a lot of food, Sparky, 300 pounds. And uh, I said, okay, where do you want to go? And we looked around, we found a pizza joint. Just uh, It was a California pizza kitchen. And we went, and we found this California pizza kitchen, and we all got pizza and ate pizza. It was really good. And I said, okay, you want to go? He goes, well, we need some dessert. And I said, what do you want? We walked out and there was a bakery right next to it. And we went into the bakery and each of us got a turnover. Everybody loves a turnover, right? Right? Everybody love a turnover? And we got, oh, man, I know. Yeah. And I got a cherry turnover. It was fantastic. And uh, we, we ate those. Then we went back and got in the car and I said, okay, let's get back. So we get back in time. I can take a shower and I'm ready to preach and everything. So I don't know if you've ever been to Boston. But most cities in the world are, the streets are like this, and then they cross like this, okay? Like, like that and like that. Not in Boston. When they made the streets in Boston, they made, made them for horses and buggies, and they didn't have a, really, a real city designer design the city. Boston's streets don't go like this. They go like this. That's how Boston streets go. So I got in the car and I thought, well, I know where the freeway is. And, and uh, I tried to backtrack how I got there. And about a half an hour later, both Sparky and I realized that I am hopelessly lost. And Sparky looks over and he says to me what no one should ever, ever say to a man. Should we stop and ask for directions? <laughs> Now, Sparky is young, and you know, and I, and I looked at him, I said, Sparky, let me explain to you about your man card. And, and, and I told him, you know, men do not stop and ask for directions. Men do not follow. Men lead. Men blaze a trail. Sparky, we will be fine. We will find the freeway. Half an hour later, Sparky says, are you sure you don't just want to stop for directions? Fine, I said, and I pulled into a shell station, and I said, listen, I'm trying to get back to, is it Lancaster? Is that where that, Freeport, where I was going? Yeah, wherever AUC was. Yeah, yeah, Lancaster, okay. And, and, uh, and, and I went in, and I said, how can I, and they said, okay, you turn here, then you turn here, then, and then two lefts, and then a right, and then you're right there on the freeway. Great. Take the first part of the directions, detour. We're working on the road. So I I get hopelessly lost again. And I'm getting frustrated. And finally I stop behind a taxi cab. 
and I take $20 out of my pocket, and I walk and I tap on the window, and the guy was off duty, his light was off, but he rolls down the window, he says, yeah, I'm off duty, and I said, yeah, I'll give you 20 bucks if you just drive to a freeway entrance. <laughs> Any freeway is fine by me. And, and he says, where are you going? I said, well, I'm going to Lancaster. He goes, okay, okay. Um, he said, 20 bucks? I said, 20 bucks. I give it to him, I get back in my car, he starts off, he takes one turn 150 feet away and I'm on the freeway. <laughs> Following the right person can make a very big difference in your life. Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, come, follow me. I want you to notice what Jesus is asking of us here. When a rabbi would invite a person to follow them in Jesus' day, it was a really significant, special thing. See, by the age of eight years old, all of you men, all of you boys, by the time you were eight, will, would have been attempting to, and most of you would have done it, to memorize the whole Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. All five books of the Bible, memorize it word for word by the time you're eight years old. That was what school was. You memorize Torah, the whole thing. Somebody could say, what's the numbers 520? Boom, you'd be able to tell them. Of course, they didn't have chapters and verses back then, but you know what I mean. By the time you're 12 years old, you have memorized the whole Tanakh. Everything, Genesis through Malachi, every word of it would be memorized by the time you're 12. Do you think our kids could do that now? No? I don't know. Maybe they could. I didn't try it with my kid. But this is what they had to do. Now, at 12, that's when you become a man, you're bar mitzvahed and all that kind of stuff. You go through a nice little ceremony. And then... If you're interested, you go and you interview with a rabbi. And you go and you say, I, I would like to be your follower. And the rabbi would look at you and they would say, okay, let's have a little discussion here. And there would be some give and take. And he would say, take Genesis 3.20, uh, Numbers 4.26, Psalm 121, and Malachi 1, and tell me how they relate to each other in the spectrum of, and he'd give them some sort of a weird philosophical thing. And if the kid could argue and make it all happen, man, that was really good. But if the kid looked at you and went, oh man, I know, I knew that one Psalm thing. Um, uh, that would have been me in school. If you weren't really good, the rabbi would look at you and say, mm, thank you for applying, but go and ply your trade. He would say, go and ply your trade, which meant go back to your family and whatever your daddy does, learn it from your daddy because you're not going to be a brainiac. You're not going to Yale. You're not going to Harvard. You're not going to PUC. You're going to be going, you're, 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 going to, you're, you're not worthy. You just go and learn how to mend nets or pound nails or do whatever you're going to do, but, but you're not going to be in rabbi school. And they would go home, head hung, and mom and dad would say, oh, it's okay, you're going to be a great carpenter, you're going to, you know, whatever. Now, if, on the other hand, 
you said, well, <laughs> I think that this and this relates to this, and but you know, I'm going to pull in a couple of more texts, and I'm going to show you how, and you impress the rabbi. If the rabbi has a little bit of an aha moment because of you, remember Jesus at 12 years old in the temple? Ahaing the, okay. If that happens, then a rabbi looks at you and says, oh, come, follow me. You run home and you tell your mom and dad, oh, Rabbi someone says, come follow me. And they'd pack all his stuff, because he was going to go. And they would take him to the rabbi, and the blessing that the mom and dad would give the young boy would be, may the dust of your rabbi cover you as you follow him. It's interesting to note how Jesus does things differently here. Notice that Jesus' disciples didn't come asking for an interview. Instead, Jesus approaches them and gives an invitation for them to follow him. And notice who he approaches. Jesus finds people that are plying their trade. He finds these average Joes, these C students. Praise God for C students. My son was always kind of a C student. And he's depressed about it. He'd come home and he, oh, I'm just getting C's. I can't get better than C's. And I dug out some of my report cards from when I was in the same grades. And he looked at them and he said, man, I'm doing good, aren't I, Dad? (laughs) Yes, son, I'm proud of you. Now go and ply your trade. (laughs) Jesus picks ordinary Joes like you and like me to be on his team. He looks at us and he says, come, follow me. I want you to notice in Scripture that every time somebody ended up following Jesus, they, they had to give up something. Peter and Andrew and James and John, they all had to give up their fishing nets. If they wanted to follow Jesus, they couldn't do both. They had to give up something. Matthew had to give up his tax collecting business. Mary had to give up being a prostitute. The rich young ruler had to give up his wealth if he wanted to follow Jesus. The Pharisees had to give up their religion if they wanted to follow Jesus. Sometimes you actually have to give up your religion to follow Jesus. In each case, whenever people encountered Jesus, there was a call to follow, but, but there, was, there was always a cost. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 37. Anyone who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There always seems to be a cost to following. This is true about whoever you choose to follow. Doesn't matter who. If you choose to follow somebody or something, there's going to be a cost. There are all kinds of voices in this world that are begging for our attention. All kinds of people getting us, trying to get us to follow them. In the political arena, 
vote for me, follow me, and we put their bumper stickers on our, on our bumpers. I'm just going to tell you, as Christ followers, if you think any politician can do something to save your world, you are being duped. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. You're being duped. These talk radio show hosts that call their followers ditto heads and drones and all these things. If you're caught up into that and following them, there's a cost to that. And they are not the lamb you want to follow. Maybe I'm old. Okay, I'm old. (laughs) Hey, I do old well. (laughs) Sort of. But this Twitter thing, okay, I I joined it. I don't like it. (laughs) Because I keep getting these messages, so-and-so was following you. I don't want them to follow me. (laughs) I want them to follow Jesus. Jesus should have a Twitter account. Lots of followers. There's probably somebody out there, right, that's got that. I don't want followers. One of the things that just gives me nightmares is when I walk by a Sabbath school class and I hear somebody say, well, I don't know what the Bible says, but pastor says, I always step in, always, every time I hear that, and go, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't be quoting me. Don't be believing it because I said it. You've got to find out for yourself between you and God and the Bible. You follow that. Don't follow me. I don't want followers. I want to be a follower. In this day and age, everybody wants you to follow them. Everybody's saying, come follow me. No, come follow me. Buy my stuff. See this thing. And in the midst of the roar of everybody wanting you to follow them, there's this still, small voice. It's not louder than the other voices, but it's persistent. Remember the story of the still, small voice? Elijah in the cave. He doesn't see God in any of the noise that's out there. He hears God. He hears him in a still, small voice. And I'm just going to tell you something. If I'm going to speak to you in a still, small voice, in a whisper, and you're going to hear me, it's going to be because I'm very, very close to you when I'm whispering. And the whisper you'll hear if you turn everything down is, come. Follow me. In the Greek, the word follow does not mean to walk behind. It means to walk beside. And this is Jesus' invitation to his disciples, and it's his invitation to you and me. Come, walk beside me. Be with me. Walk beside me. Follow me. Jesus' first words to Peter were, come follow me. And, and uh, he got up and he followed. And Peter, man, he had some victories and he had some epic failures, right? The very last words that Jesus speaks to Peter in John chapter 21, they're walking along the beach three times. He said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And then Peter gets curious about the disciple following. And hey, what about him? What's going to happen? And Jesus says, don't worry about him. You just follow me. This is Jesus' call to you and me. Right here and right now. Follow me. It's not an easy decision. 
To follow Jesus means that I might have to give something up or I'm going to have to respond to His call. I'm going to have to do something. It may be that I need to stop taking the lead in my own life and actually realize that if I just keep taking the lead, it's going to be disaster over disaster over disaster. It may mean that I need to shift my attention to other things than the things that I'm pursuing so that I can follow Jesus. But still, he asks, come follow me. You might have to give up a job. You might have to give up some friendships. You might have to give up a bad habit or an opinion that he doesn't share that you have, you may have to give up your pride. Jesus gave up heaven to be a follower. What is it that's in your life that's not worth giving up to follow Jesus? As the musicians come up, we're going to sing a song at the end there. I want to point to Revelation chapter 14. It talks about God's last day people. And it describes them in this way. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Are you willing to follow the Lamb wherever He goes? You know that song, uh, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus? I want to sing that together with you tonight to close this talk. It's old school. If you're